while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. We've been looking for a number of weeks, I think this is study number 12, of what we've called encounters with Jesus, where we've seen different uh, people meeting with Jesus, where we've seen different uh, outcomes from those meetings with Jesus. Some of them were uh, meetings where he healed people uh, and other experiences as well that uh, arose from these encounters with Jesus. And this is going to be our final study in that short series because here we find the final encounter that these disciples had with Jesus before. As we read here, he was lifted up and taken up to glory. So all the encounters that you find after this were encounters with the risen Jesus particularly as he ministered through the Holy Spirit as we'll see tonight although as you know he met with the likes of Saul of Tarsus or the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus where Paul himself recognized that he had met with the risen glorified Christ uh, on that uh, journey that he was on and Luke ends the chapter uh, ends the book rather just uh, ends the chapter, but he ends the book just as he began with the emphasis of on worship. And where you find Luke emphasizing worship at the beginning of his, his gospel and here emphasizing the worship of Christ, you can see that uh, as we've referred to a number of times when looking at passages in Luke, that Luke asks this question a number of times at strategic points in his gospel, who then is this? That's with reference to Jesus, and that question is on the lips of different types of people, but there's always this interest all the way through the Gospel of, Lee, of Luke as to who is Jesus, what is his significance, what is his life about, what was his death about, what is it now um, about that he is risen from the dead and now comes to be raised up, lifted, carried up into heaven. And between those, that beginning and the end, of the gospel that references worship, really you find Jesus filling the whole of the gospel. It's all about him. And that's how it should be with the book of my life and of your life as well. Beginning with worship and ending with worship and everything in between to do or to focus upon Jesus Christ as our saviour. Now here we find two encounters actually in the chapter um, because from verse 13 we read about these two disciples who are going to Emmaus and they encountered Jesus while he himself, when he himself came and joined them in that journey. And as we read, uh, they, and they uh, urged him to stay with them and he stayed with them that day. And then the next uh, encounter you find is at verse 36 as they went back to Jerusalem and began to talk to those who were gathered there of Christ's followers about their experience and discovered that they were talking about the same things, Jesus appeared in their midst again and said to them, Peace be to you. And that final encounter there really follows through into this incident of where he is parted from them and taken up into heaven. And there are three things that I would like us just to uh, briefly notice from these final verses. First of all, Christ's leading of his people. Christ's leading of his people. He led them out as far as Bethany. And 
us. We'll see there's spiritual significance in that as well, where it mentions him leading them out as far as Bethany and then lifting up his hands and blessing them. That's the second point is Christ's blessing of his people. He led them out to Bethany and then he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And the third thing is Christ worshipped by his people because that's the final part of Luke's gospel here. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Christ's leading of his people, Christ's blessing of his people, Christ worshipped by his people. In the leading of Christ of his people, he led them out as far as to Bethany. Who is this who's leading them out? It goes back to this question that Luke asks so often. But here, the answer to it is in the risen Christ. This is Jesus after his death, after his resurrection from the dead. This is Jesus now, just shortly before he goes up to heaven before he's glorified and his session at the right hand of God. It is the risen Jesus who leads his church. It's the risen Jesus who goes before them. It's the risen Jesus who leads them out as far as to Bethany and blesses them there. They have a leader who is triumphant over death. They have a leader who has overcome death, who has paid the price of their sins but goes ahead them as a victor. In other words, the Jesus we worship tonight, we worship as one who is absolutely triumphant over sin and over death, who reigns over all the events that take place in the world, who has in his government the keys of hell and of death in his hand, as Revelation uh, puts it. Jesus didn't come out of the grave just as if it was only just a victory over death any more than his death on the cross was only just an atonement for sin it is in every sense an atonement for sin full and replete with everything that God required and everything that was necessary for us to have an atonement made on our behalf and as he arose from the dead, he didn't arise from the dead. The Lord was something that was imperceptible to many people and not seen actually by people. Nevertheless, it was a triumphant resurrection. He left death behind. He overcame death. He left his grave clothes in the grave as an indicator that he had overcome death. That this wasn't somebody... Uh, this wasn't an, uh, a matter of somebody having come and taken his body and just left the clothes there neatly folded up. They weren't neatly folded up. They were just as they had been on his body to demonstrate to the first uh, viewers of that sepulchre, the Lord has risen. He has overcome death. And Psalm 68, which we'll uh, be singing from um, shortly. Um, in Psalm 68, you find... A psalm there that really has to do with what you might call the divine warrior, where you have this person, you have this figure, this individual that's represented there as uh, someone who relates specifically to God. And it's impossible to confine that to David, though the title is a song uh, or a psalm of David. It begins, God shall arise and his enemies shall be scattered. And then you look at these verses, verse 7, for example, O God, when you went out before your people, 
You marched through the wilderness. The earth quaked. The heavens poured down rain. It's, it's a picture of someone who's majestic. Somebody in whose presence even the creation trembles. And there you see a, a foresight of the resurrection of Christ or the risen Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who left the grave behind with, with death in his grip. And as that psalm goes on in verse 12, you find the kings of the armies, they flee. They flee. The women at home divide the spoil. You see, he is gathered from his victory that which he shares with his people. In verses 18 to 19, which we'll sing shortly, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious or for the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there or dwell amongst them. And the same when you go through the psalm, you find um, the prayer of the psalmist there really is a prayer that's based upon that victory that's already been achieved. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. And then the psalm from uh, verses 32 to the end really calls upon all the kingdoms of the earth to sing to God, to sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, who sends out his voice and power and so on. What is our evangelism based upon? It's based upon the victory of Christ. What is our great certainty in reaching out with the gospel or preaching the gospel? It's that Christ is risen triumphant over death, that he's paid the price of sin. What, are, what do we base our prayers on when we ask God to come again and show his power in our generation? What do you base that on? Where do you find the confidence in prayer that comes to appeal to God in your prayers? On the same basis, isn't it? The same foundation Christ is risen. The Lord has now been glorified. He ministers from his throne of glory. And isn't that where you go with not only your own present circumstances, but those of the church as well? You find times that are difficult and struggles for ourselves individually and for the church and for the gospel and for the cause that we want to see flourish when you feel discouraged when your heart is heavy when your head droops low when you have struggles with your own faith with what you see in the world when you listen to the taunts of the unbelieving scoffing world where do you go where do you take all that where do you find an antidote or an answer to all of that well it's here you take them to the risen Christ. You regain in your mind this great emphasis that Christ is risen, that he is the king, that he presides over everything that exists. And it's important we keep applying that to our own circumstances personally or the circumstances of, of the church in whatever generation we belong to, especially when uh, things are low spiritually. But he's not just the risen Christ, he's also the sending Christ. See, just before that he had said, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city till you are clothed with power from on high. Now, just mentioning that, in passing really, though it's an important part of the emphasis, when he says that I will send the promise, or I am sending the promise of my Father, he means the Holy Spirit. Chapters 14, 15, 
16 of John, he taught the disciples in the upper room about his departure and how the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit came, he would be present through the Holy Spirit and that he would still minister to them as their Savior. In other words, the leadership of Jesus is a leadership that continues though his bodily or physical presence is gone from the church. But the leadership has not been interrupted. Death didn't interrupt it. His departure to glory didn't interrupt it. And tonight he is the glorified leader of the church, of God's people, of whatever, um, wherever we are or whatever circumstances we have. This is our leader. This is not someone who leads the church uncertainly. This is not somebody whose leadership can sometimes be questioned. This is not someone whose leadership is uncertain for his people. Uh, this is glorified, risen, sending Christ. And you see, that fits in with the emphasis here. He led them out as far as Bethany. That's where his physical leading of them ended. And they would look back upon this incident with renewed appreciation of what he had taught them earlier about his departure and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And after the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and following on from that, they would look back and say, well, we had him with us physically, but now he's still with us. He's still with us through the Holy Spirit. Spiritually, he has a leadership of his church. We often refer to the head of the church. Who is the head of the church? It's not the queen. It's not the pope. It's not Presbyterian ministers. It's King Jesus. It's King Jesus. And who is King Jesus? He is the same one who died the death of the cross, who rose from the dead triumphantly in his resurrection, who led his disciples, his people here out as far as Bethany, and then departed from them physically to be with them through the Holy Spirit. And you notice and there's something quite remarkable here as well in terms of uh, not only Jesus being with his people as leading his people and being their leader, the whole of the Trinity is actually here, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because he mentions here the promise of my Father, verse 49. He himself is the Son and it's through the Holy Spirit that he's going to be present with them. You remember, if I can just refer back to uh, to John chapter 16 and at verse uh, 23 especially, where he was teaching them there about his own presence and that of the Father through the Holy Spirit. Um, this is what he said, verse 23 of John 16. Um, uh, verse 23 to, to 26. Sorry, I think that should be John 14. Yes, it's John 14, rather, sorry. Uh, John 14, at verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. These are remarkable words. Jesus is saying, If you love me, you will keep my words, and my Father will love that person, and we will come and make our home with him. And he was teaching them that in the context of telling them about the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's just leave it at that, but it is a remarkable thing itself that every believer here tonight has God living in their hearts. 
God has taken up residence in their lives. And God is in the midst of his people through taking up that residence in their souls. And when you think of who it is that's living in your souls, it's not just the Holy Spirit, it's not just Jesus, not just the Father, it's all three persons of the Godhead. Now there's a great mystery to that. I can't explain it to you. I don't think any mere human being can. Because we're talking about things that are divine. Things that are beyond our ability to fully understand them. Remember that there is always a mystery or an element of mystery to the Christian faith that you don't want to remove. Uh, But that mystery is not the same as saying the Christian faith is a mystical thing. Mystical things. A mystical religion is what you find in Far East type of religions. The Christian faith has mystery because we're dealing with the true God. And this is one of the mysteries that the three persons of the Godhead have chosen together to come and live in the heart of his people, of each and every believer. You're a walking miracle tonight if you're a Christian. Not only in the way that you've come to be born again, but in the very fact that you have God living in your life. You have God taking up residence in your life. So here's the first thing. Christ leading off his people. And tonight, what is more important and more vital to us as we approach the end of this year and anticipate the beginning of a new year in our lives? than that Christ is leading us, that Christ himself is going before us, that our life is dominated by and governed by, not in a way that's unwilling on our part, but nevertheless it's the risen Christ who leads us. And that's what we want to know more and more of as this new year approaches and God willing will develop in our experience. However much or however little of it we'll see, what we want to really experience is the presence of that living Christ, the presence of that risen Christ, the blessing of that risen Christ, as we'll see in a minute, because that's what you've got. He led them, and we want to be led by him, and to realize more of that leading, and to perceive in our own understanding, and indeed in our own experience, more of that leading of Christ. And I hope that you, all of you individuals, will have that as a new year resolution, if you like, to know more of the leadership of King Jesus in your life too. It's the first thing, he led his people, he led them as far as Bethany. The second thing is Christ's blessing of his people. You notice here that while he blessed them, uh, lifting up his hands, he blessed them, and while he blessed them, he parted from them. So his leading of his people was as the risen Christ and as the sending Christ. But his blessing of his people here is with his hands uplifted over them. Now that uh, calls to your mind the Old Testament high priest, such as Aaron, who in Numbers chapter 6 we're told that uh, he was instructed, or Moses instructed, that Aaron would bless the people with certain words of blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's the high priestly blessing of the Old Testament where um, Aaron was to put the name of God, was what he says, what God said to him, in blessing the people. And that's exactly what you find fulfilled in a much greater way 
in Jesus as the high priest of his people. He's not just our king and continues to be our king. He's also our high priest, our living high priest. And when he here lifted up his hands to bless them, that's the imagery you've got in mind. That's what you remember as you cast your mind back to the Old Testament priesthood and the high priesthood of Aaron blessing the people. This is Jesus in the act of blessing with his hands uplifted so that they would understand that his leadership is one of continuing blessing. And there's something remarkable in that too because when Jesus blesses his people, he's blessing them on the basis of his own achievement. There's, there's nothing else anywhere like this. You can't find any um, uh, alternative to Jesus that has anything like such an amazing and remarkable and beneficial thing in himself. He's blessing his people, and as he blesses his people, as he's blessed your life, or will bless your life as he leads you, and as he blesses you as your high priest, what he's doing is taking the things that he himself has achieved by his death and resurrection and bestowing upon you forgiveness, access to God. Everything the Bible tells us, like for example, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, where Paul is there saying, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Why is he putting it like that? Because he knows that this high priest who is Jesus, uh, that the Father in him has blessed his people already. You see, Paul is saying there, Blessed be God and the Father not only, he's not saying who will bless us, but who has blessed us. Because all the blessings that you and I could possibly receive throughout the course of our life and on into eternity are already located in Christ. They are already deposited in Christ. There is no blessing that God has given or will give that is outside of Jesus himself and his achievement. Not even in eternity will there be any blessing coming to God's people that is outside of Christ and what he has obtained for them. And that really shows you, doesn't it, how enormous, how, how inexpressibly huge is the blessing that is deposited in Christ for his people out of which he blesses them through the Holy Spirit. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. When you go back to the high priestly blessing of, blessing of number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord uh, be gracious to you. He lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. All of that is already inside the blessings that are in Christ in the heavenly places where he is. Ah, that's your privilege tonight. When you ask God to bless your life, that's what you're asking. You're not asking for a small drop. You're not asking for something hardly significant. You're asking for something indescribably great. The blessings that are in Christ. But not only were his hands lifted up uh, while he blessed them, but while he was doing this, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. In other words, the last view that they had of Jesus was with his hands still lifted above them, lifted over them, 
in the act of blessing them. It was still like that when he was lifted up and disappeared from their sight. Why was that significant? Well, because think about it. If his hands had been lifted over them before he was lifted up from them, if he had let down his hands before he was lifted up, they might have concluded, well, well, that's it, his blessing's now at an end, and he can't bless us anymore because he's disappeared from view. But what you find there is that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried into heaven. In the act of blessing, he ascended to heaven. And the conclusion from that is that he was going to continue to bless them even though he was physically no longer with them. His blessing was not interrupted by his departure to heaven. It continued from heaven towards his people and still does. It's Christ who blesses the gospel. It's Christ through his spirit who, his spirit who blesses your life. It's Jesus who goes on blessing with his high priestly blessing the blessings that he has obtained himself by his atoning death and resurrection. How do you view Christ tonight? Well, what a question that is. The question of Luke. Who is this man? Who is this person? Well, you answer it from this final part of Luke, something like this. Jesus, to me, is one who is not only ascended to heaven and sitting at God's right hand, but he's active there. He's taking the things that he has obtained for me and for my blessing, and he's bestowing them upon me. He is filling my life with them. And as I see Jesus in the description of the gospel, this is the Jesus that I see tonight, not one who is merely sitting down with his hands on his knees, but with his hands still uplifted over his people in the act of blessing them. That's who is the head of the church. That's where your own life receives its vigor from, isn't it, as a Christian. All flows from the uplifted hands of Jesus blessing his people. While he blessed them, he was parted from them. What's involved in the blessing of Jesus? Well, for us personally, so much, isn't there? Your daily life, your walk with God, your anticipation of all that's in the future as God unfolds it for you. The uncertainties of life, the difficulties of life, the departures of life, the death that comes in upon our families and will come to all of ourselves individually, the advance of the church, personal salvation, world events. When you go to Ephesians again in chapter 1, um, there's a verse there which really brings us face to face with God's purpose in Christ. And what he says there in chapter 1 and verse 10 is, um, having said all that he said before, that is one long sentence in, in, in Greek, in, in the text really, there it's just one incredibly dynamic sentence. But he comes at verse 10 um, where he says, according to the mystery of his will in verse 9, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. It's all in relation to him. 
It's all with reference to Jesus. And there's nothing in existence that has no reference at all to him. Whether it's the salvation of his people, the judgment of the wicked, whatever you think of, it's all with reference to him. It's all about God bringing his plan to its fulfillment in Christ. Christ's blessing of his people. The lifted up hands, the lifted up Christ, still in the act of blessing. And finally, thirdly, there's Christ worshipped by his people. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now the worship of the unseen Christ, unseen in a, with our natural vision, is uh, it's very much a part of, for example, the letter to the Hebrews is really taken up a lot with that because the writer to the Hebrews was facing um, the suggestion perhaps or the assertion that wouldn't it be far better for Jesus to be back physically? Wasn't it better for those who saw him with their eyes rather than are thou not able to see him physically and still worship him and still commit their lives to him? And Hebrews goes uh, very, very uh, different ways, very far in, in answering that and saying, of course it's not better. We have a better situation because he ministers to us from heaven through the Holy Spirit as the unseen Savior. And you know, there's something in that I think that you can put to those that uh, so frequently say to us, well, you worship a God that you never see. How can that possibly be rational? How can that be acceptable? Prove that he exists to me and then perhaps I'll join you in his worship or at least begin to think about God. Well, you see, that's leaving out one absolutely vital ingredient or element in human experience which only really the Christian has and that's faith you wouldn't need faith not in every sense at least if you saw Christ physically with you but you're required to believe and you take delight in believing as First Peter as we looked at some time ago puts it whom though you know, now do not see him, yet you rejoice, and rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You believe in him, and you come to know that rejoicing. And you can say to somebody who accuses you of acting irrationally, because you don't see the God you purport to serve and to worship, and you're saying, I've got something actually better in my present life than seeing physically, I have faith. I have a trust in someone I know is seated at God's right hand and has overcome death and has risen triumphantly over the grave. That's my position, you can say to them. Do you have that? Well, of course they have to say, no, I don't have that. Well, I have that. It's the risen Jesus that's now departed from them. They worshipped him. And then you see the return to Jerusalem with great joy. They didn't come back to Jerusalem thinking, what a small group we are. How can we possibly survive now that he's gone? How are we going to manage our lives now that Jesus is no longer physically present with them? You see, they've come to understand uh, this question that Luke has been posing all through the gospel. Who is this man? They now know who he is more than they've ever known him before. They know that he's Jesus risen from the dead, that he's Jesus now glorified 
They're beginning to understand as never before the prophecies of the Old Testament, such as Psalm 68. You have risen up on high and ascended on high and led captivity captive and received gifts for men that God the Lord might be present with them. That's why they returned with great joy. They're not moping. They're not saying, well, really it was better while he was with us physically, wasn't it? And we're such a small bunch anyway. How can we possibly go out and face the world and bring this gospel to them? How are we going to manage that? No, they returned with worship. And a worship that was filled with joy because they now began to understand who Jesus is and what he had done. And they were in the temple continually blessing God with great joy. You see, this end of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, is really, uh, in a sense, it's just the end of one chapter of his account of Jesus and the church because uh, the next uh, chapter of it begins with the book of Acts. And we're really on the threshold of the book of Acts as you come to the end of Luke, the ascension of Jesus, as is then something that's uh, mentioned in the beginning of the book of Acts. But the book of Acts, of course, is all about the mission of the church. And so when you come to the end of Luke's gospel, what you're seeing really there is you're on the threshold of the church as God's missionary people who are going to take the gospel into the world. And what's that to be based on? And where is their confidence? In the risen Jesus. And the fact that they know he's gone to be at God's right hand, that's what gives them the confidence, not only the joy to worship him there and then, but to then go and face the world with the message of the gospel that many will despise. But they know it's the gospel of the risen Christ. And this is now our great task as well. To go forth, as Acts chapter 1 puts it, uh, to the ends of the earth, in verse 8. Uh, you are my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. To the ends of the earth. And as Matthew in his gospel puts it near the end, Jesus said to them, I am with you. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Worship. Everything which we do should be, I think I mentioned this morning, should be rooted in our worship of God. Whatever we're going to do for him has to first begin with our worship of him. And from our worship of him, we gain increasing insight into who he is, and who our king is, and who our savior is. And then we go seeking to make disciples of all nations. We wish people a happy new year when we come to know the turn of the year on the 1st January. But this is truly the happiest new year of all. To be under Christ's leadership. To know Christ's blessing. To be engaged in the worship of Christ as the King and Head of His Church. We mentioned commemorations of the Iolair loss and disaster. And of course, one of the questions that's asked is, well, how did people manage where did they go for strength? 
Well, we're not going to say that every family involved were solidly Christian-based, but undoubtedly the vast majority of those affected by that tragedy found strength through their faith, through the Christian faith, through the kingship of Jesus, through his assurances, his promises, his presence, his leadership, his blessing, and in his worship. And it's certainly a fact, as that great new book on the event, on the, uh, on the loss of the Isle Air, uh, so admirably shows in its detail that there was a perceptible increase. Remember that generation were a generation that were religious, far more than the present generation is. But there was a perceptible increase in worship, in devotion to God, in attendance upon what we call the means of grace in the gospel. That's how they managed. Huge, huge challenge and struggles for them. But our island people knew their psalms and they knew the gospel above all they knew who is this man who has mastery over all of life may God bless these thoughts to us let's conclude by singing uh, to his praise in Psalm 68 Psalm 68 verses 18 to 20 on page 303 singing to tune Sheffield words which uh, so wonderfully and powerfully uh, set out for us the supremacy of God and Christ over death itself and who leads even those who stand against him and the forces that were against him led them in triumph in procession as he overcame death and rose from the dead so verses 18 to 20 thou hast O Lord most glorious ascended up on high and in triumph victorious led captive captivity and there should and I'm sure there will be a vibrancy in our singing of these verses realizing this is King Jesus this is the one who answers the question of Luke who is this man let's sing to his praise Thou hast, O Lord, most glorious, ascended up on high, and in triumph victorious led captive, captivity. Thou hast received Oh! Uh.
to the side door to my left after the benediction. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen.